Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. In this digital age, data is the lifeblood of business. Just as computer literacy became a non-negotiable skill in the 21st century, Data literacy is now an essential competency in our increasingly data-driven world. Yet, despite this critical importance, it's an area where many individuals and businesses stumble. Understanding, interpreting, and effectively using data can be challenging, even daunting for many. The lack of data literacy skills can lead to misinterpretation, misuse, and missed opportunities for businesses and individuals. Many struggle to find a structured approach to elevate their data literacy skills, often feeling lost in the vast sea of numbers and metrics. My guest in this episode, Angelica Kleras, wants to change that. Angelica is a data literacy expert and author of the book called Data Literacy in Practice. In this conversation, she shares her invaluable insights and practical tips on mastering data literacy. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned data professional, Angelica's expertise will empower you to upskill yourself, your team, and your organization, one data project at a time. Let's get to it. Here's Angelica. Angelica Kledas, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. I am really excited to have you on the show today to talk about data literacy. Thank you, uh, Jonas. It's good to be here. It is very good. And we have just been talking about the nice weather in Netherlands where it is summer versus the cold weather in Australia where it is winter. But you've informed me that you're only about five degrees warmer than me, so I shouldn't really complain. <laughs> no. <laughs> Other than that, we're going to be talking about data literacy today. But before we get to that, it would be really good to hear from you a bit about who you are and your background. So could you give us a, a quick synopsis on that? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm Angelica, Angelica from the Netherlands. Uh, I'm half Greek, half Dutch. Actually, my dad is from Greece and my mother is from the Netherlands. I'm married, have three children, work in the data business, I think. It should be around 35, 37 years. When I started running around with lists of things that need to be done through the company where I used to work. And from there, it started growing and evolving. And suddenly there were some tools <laughs> and we started working with them. And I got so hooked up on the business side of the data and analytics world instead of the back end, like programming and everything everything because that's not what I do. I'm on the front side. I help organizations to switch into the data analytics uh, informed decision-making uh, app. And last year we were asked by uh, Pact to write a book 
And I wrote the book together with Kevin Hannigan. I believe he was also on the show. And, and the end result was Data Literacy in Practice, a beautiful book about the topic that I love truly. Yes, so you are absolutely the right person to have us talking through data literacy in practice. And uh, we learned a lot from Kevin in the previous episode. And Kevin promised us that you would have a complimentary but slightly different lens to all of this. So we will get straight to that now and, and dig into that. But I think it's always important to start with definitions so that we're all on the same page. So could you start by giving us your definition of what data literacy is? There are many, many, many topics, but it, it's it's how you work with, analyze with, understand with, communicate with, and everything around the data topic. It's, a, it's about understanding the world around you based on data and make your data informed decisions. I think the official one is the ability to work with, understand, communicate with uh, data. It's close, but you know, it's merely about understanding the world around you. And even my wife is data literate. Why? Because we make altogether data-informed decisions. When we go for a vacation to, for example, this year we're going back to Sevilla. We have to book tickets, we have to book a house, uh, we have to arrange a lot of things up front. But first of all, it's very interesting to see where we are going and how much the tickets are and uh, what is the best moment to fly. So we go to all kinds of websites, we set all kinds of parameters to make decisions, uh, to find, to filter, to work with, and then we have an end result. That's how we found the elements together, we discuss them together because it's about communications and then we make a decision. And that's actually the data-driven decision. And we do this at home all the time nowadays. Why don't we do this in the business? I like that example because uh, most people buying tickets for a trip or renting a holiday house or whatever it might be, will go and analyze different websites, look at the parameters of the flight, the property, how long does it take to get there, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But in business, we are still very comfortable just uh, going with gut feel and, and hoping for the best. And what my experience is over, I have seen the growth of, of performance management. It became corporate performance management. Then at the end, it became business intelligence as a process. And then we heard the term data literacy, thank God, because it got so much attention. Uh, because everybody makes those kind of data-informed decisions. And yeah, well, it's amazing. So maybe talk to us a little bit about that. You're talking here about performance management moving towards data literacy or they're not the same thing in my head, but they're you, you're talking about them as if they have some sort of connection. Could you talk to us about your view on that? Yeah, I think so. I truly think so. Because when we had, when we started out, we had those statical lists. Right, we printed lists out from our post systems or our the transactional systems in the companies where we put our work in, and we get a list every Monday, and then we start running around discussing things with people to deliver uh, some actions or some tasks, and then uh, I could make a mark on my list and run through the next one. Did the same thing, and then the results I put in my computer, and then I could make a, the signal to my boss. Uh, things are managed. Some kind of working with data, finding things out and discussing it with each other. And then it started to become performance management and even, and that was looking at your company and at your teams and at your departments, how they, would they perform on several kind of uh, types of activities or financially, HR and everything. And that all came together in corporate performance man management. And there you saw the start of measuring things at, in the beginning. And then we heard the buzzword, I believe it's, 
it, it was in 2007 or something that I heard that buzzword. I started, it's not a buzzword because it's still here. And then I heard them, people talking about the fact that business intelligence is a process. And I was looking at the things and I said, oh, but that's uh, also the plan to check act system uh, from Deming. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but they call it a BI as a process. Okay. Well, and then we started talking about it because then at that moment I was fully into working with data with the beautiful tools and uh, and everything. And from there you saw growing that we also transported the Deming circle into data literacy because it's all about that all things are connected to each other. It's a system. It's everything is a system. I hope I'm not too uh, through each other, but it's it's a grow. It it grew tremendously up, and that's so amazing. Yeah, so being data literate, I suppose uh, you become data literate when you have the right measures uh, and are able to look at those and manage your business accordingly. Then that is almost the then then you almost are by definition data literate if you can do that well. Is that kind of what you're saying? It's everything together. It's about communication. It's about it about analyzing. It's about designing. Uh, it's about making the right choices for your company. It's about change. It's about change management because every implementation that we have on a report is a small change or a big change. It depends, and it's it's all elements around the world of data and but understanding the understanding in what you do. So how would you then define a data literate organization? What are the key characteristics of that? They have organizational data literacy in place. The organization must be ready for a data informed decision making process and everything all around the data literacy aspects. They also need to have data management in place, uh, data governance, data management, data quality. They need to think of that, right? They need to have that area where, where data is collected, transformed, cleaned, helped, think, thought about the strategy. So please throw also sometimes things away, <laughs> not keep everything. It's not necessary. And then we have the, the analytics part where we have to think of our goals, our strategy, our mission, the KPIs, the PIs, uh, the measures and everything. And from there, we also start educating people. And it's not only for the organizational point of view, but it's also from the, from the educational point of view that we have to help our workers, our, our people to manage culture, to change into a data literate culture, but also learn them to work with, analyze, argue, ask critical questions like uh, Kevin probably have told you. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a bit about the culture then that is necessary to actually have a data driven organization. Yeah, I just wrote a white paper about it. It, it launched yesterday, and it, it's not only about uh, the talent and it, talent and culture are the two primary elements because you need the people to do the things, right? And but the people need to learn to work with, to 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 discuss. There needs to be a culture that is open, transparent, where people can talk with each other without getting the heads cut off, right? You didn't do good. No, let's find the solution. Let's find what happened. Why did things happen as they are? And what can we do about it so that we can prevent uh, letting it happen again, but also to improve my company or our company and even the individuals. And that's something we have to nurture. We have to find the correct people that are good in the technical parts, in the, in the soft skill parts, and they need to be brought together and nurtured. I truly believe that we are in the state in the world that we need people management instead of detailed and directive uh, management. 
needs to be open. It needs to be transparent uh, to become successful, to become a high-performing organization. Yeah, and that's really interesting because you, you talked about some technical aspects. You got to have data management and governance and all those steps, all those things in place. But it doesn't matter how good your data is, how well delivered it is, how well distributed it is across the organization. If the organization doesn't have the mandate to actually have good arguments about facts. Exactly. If there is a personality styles involved, if there's a culture of you can't argue with the CEO about an opinion based on on data then it'll never it'll never work but yeah it, that's interesting and that that I hear is what you're saying that's actually core you can almost forget about getting to data literacy if you don't have a culture that values the the right kind of argumentation as opposed to stars on the shoulders or or titles yeah yeah, well, I've, I thought, you know, it's, if, you, if you don't have the people and if you don't have the right culture, then you get that, you know, we have here in Holland, uh, the deaf hear and say, uh, so speak, deaf and blind. I have seen so many times that people were looking at the figures and they thought, oh, shh. ah, it's not good. Let's hope it's next month. It's better. And then I think, why, could, why shouldn't we go and find out what the problem was eh? why did we hit this mark and from there analyze improve get eh? root cause analysis and blah blah but you can do a lot of things and from there make the changes to improve and we we look back we look we close our eyes we think ah, let's hope it's next month better because we are forced by the craziness of a work day and then we just continue and that's too bad it needs to be taken care of and the actual part of, of this whole data literacy process or bi process or data and analytics process is actually people get into action to ask that critical questions to analyze why things were as they are at that moment when it was measured and actually think of solutions and how to improve that's the most difficult step that's the step that fails a lot of times Mm -hmm. So, you know, at first glance, someone might interpret data literacy as the ability to interpret data. I can read a chart, I can read a table, and I, I can understand what it means, which is a, you can almost say that's a foundational skill. To It's a kind of a ticket to play, right? You, that's the entry point. Uh, and you hit the checkbox. I did this because we have a list of elements. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that, which I, which I really like, it, you're saying that being data literate is, is way more than that. It's also about, you, you're only truly data literate when you are, you're able to interrogate your own opinions, including your own ideas about something and actually go, truly can this be right and, and keep digging into whether we're solving the right problems, whether we're, we've got the right facts for the, for the problem at hand and so on. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's, um, it's close. Yeah. Sure. It's you know when I start working with, uh, for example, I do the day I do data trainings, right? So I do some theoretical conceptual trainings, but I also work with tools. The first thing that I do is in my training is that people open their laptop and they start learning how to analyze, how to use the full power of a tool by not only filtering data, but also asking questions bigger than and make the questions even more difficult. And at the end of that section, it takes about two hours. People are like, wow, 
I never knew that. That's interesting. And then we start building and then we start discussing. And then I will give them the good and the bad and the ugly and discuss things. And from there you start, you start seeing lights popping up and people get enthusiastic. So who, who's typically doing this training? What kind of clientele is that? Uh, it varies. It's uh, at the university where I teach, uh, but also uh, uh, at all businesses where I walk around as a consultant, as an advisor. Uh-huh. But they're not, they're not analysts or data scientists. They're typically business people, I assume. It could be a, well, I expect from a data scientist that he knows some kind of analysis uh, with the algorithms and everything. So. Because there we have other, there we have other issues like uh, fairness of use, uh, uh, bias, and uh, you name it, trustworthiness. But on the other side, we have the, yeah, the the business that is interested, the people that are interested in working, and and that's how you get that organizational data literacy at maturity level. And on the other side, you have the educational and the people level, and that's what needs to be brought together. Analyzing. It's the first step of everything because it's a soft skill that you need to have, uh, just like uh, communicational skills or working together skills. Those kind of things. So I look also to the soft skills because they are important as well. Mm-hmm. That's good. I've never actually heard anyone call analysis a soft skill before, so I really like that. Now, Angelica, let's come up with an example of this stuff. So could you give us an example of data literacy successes and failures that you see in organizations that you frequent uh, yeah. and, and, and maybe why, why have things either played out uh, good or bad? Yeah. The first example is an example of the safety region here in the Netherlands, safety region, North Holland North. I worked with them on a project and the moment I heard the name of that project and the short description of the project, I thought this is a project that I want to do. It's so close to my heart, but also it could be a, a very big opportunity. It could be a very big positive outcome. So uh, what I wanted to do was improve the chain of emergency. And the chain of emergency is from the, the to dispatch. We call it 112 here in the Netherlands. I don't know the call sign in uh, Australia. And on the other side, you have the, the treatment, the performance of the treatment. So the moment the treatment, treatment is finished. Yeah. So you, And in between this chain, you have all kinds of stamps, all kinds of timestamps but all kinds of activities. So it starts with somebody gets heart failure because call to balloon is the process of emergency calls blowing up the, the balloon in the closed veins of a patient with a, when a, an angioplasty is necessary. And he calls 112. That's a timestamp. Then uh, the ambulance is sent away. That's a timestamp. Uh, it, it drives. That's a, time, that's a certain time to the patient, stabilizing the patient, making an ECG, find out on the ECG that there is a angioplasty needed, that need, the patient needs to be transferred to the hospital. It's delivered in the hospital. There, the treatment, it comes to the door. He will get the, the needle in his arm or in his, uh, I think, groin, that's the correct English name. And then they do the treatment. They blow up the balloon. They close the hole and it's ready. That's the whole chain. And everything is a step in the process. And we started collecting data from three organizations, dispatch, ambulance, hospital, and we brought it together in a process schema. And we started analyzing together, making a beautiful visualization. Yeah, and it even hit the news at the end in this region. And it was uh, amazing. Uh, it became uh, an example project uh, for the the Dutch authority, healthcare authority. Yeah, and it was a 
really a <laughs> and then we started uh, improving and after a few months uh, already they brought it back to 20 minutes less in the process so it was it was fantastic and even there we had to work with with data quality issues we had to and that, how did we solve that or how did we try to improve the data quality it was just like okay we have a due test report and all steps that are uh, not correct uh, or false or a wrong value we just highlighted it and discussed it with each other because it's all about communication and working together to make the good process well in the safety region they are one of the the most data-informed decision-making companies that I have ever seen. And uh, they actually won in 2014 also the award of the smartest organization of the Netherlands. Uh, so well, as from a professional, but also from the public jury. So that was cool. That was really, really cool. Wow, that's impressive. And often there's a bit of a, a running joke that the governmental organization or agencies are, are, are not that smart and modern or uh, technologically advanced. So that's really impressive. And what I'm hearing you say here is that this organization, obviously, it had the culture in place. So all you had to do in, in theory is deliver. I'm, I'm simplifying. You, you, could, you can deliver the project. No, you had to cope with three companies, three organizations. So that was also, so we had this discussions all together and we helped, we just supported them by sitting on the same table at all companies, talking with each other, uh, finding out the results. And then the moment the chairman of the, the Dutch cardiologist union jumped out of his chair and he walked to the dashboard and he said, here, 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 and here we can improve. And then everybody started, oh, and wow, yes, and this and this and this. And then they, we just supported them with helping them and guiding them through working with data, analyzing with data, communicating about data, and working together with data, argue, criticize, ask questions and everything. And it was all brought together. And then, for my opinion, they are really, truly a HBO. They are a highly performing organization. They do everything about data-informed decision-making. Uh-huh. So that's a great example. And it, uh, I think your example there of, of that conversation in the boardroom really highlights kind of how it played out underneath the, the solution being delivered. Could you give us an example of the opposite maybe, or not, not the opposite culture, but a, a project that, that didn't play out the way it should and, and give us the reasons why it did in fact not work? Yeah, well, we were working for, it was also, uh, I think it was also, yeah, it was a healthcare organization and we were working, we started out and then uh, we made an estimation of a project with that. It was in the commercial world then, also with the Cold Balloon and, but we were working with that organization and we, as blonde as we were, you know, we, we said, okay, we will do the project. We want to help you and blah, blah, blah. You know, we want to earn money. And then we started working in the project and it was a bit strange when I learned as a project leader that we were not allowed to connect to the transactional systems itself only two excels that were prepared to this by uh, someone and this excel was so complex so big so okay but we tried to have to do our work we made reports and then there was i think maybe 12 euro cents and you know we were working with that and we got it and we just had the minor the figure is off right? 12 euro cents or something. It was really nothing. And, but the, the CFO said, no, it's not, it's not good. And we have to work on it and blah, blah, blah. And then every time when something like that happens, we started track backtracing data limits. So we went back back and back and then back and forth and where, and then, and we end up in the Excel 
And in the Excel, there were Excel, uh, you know, all those elements behind. And then we had to find the, and then what actually at the end, the result was of our analysis. And it happened really sometimes. It took about eight, eight hours to analyze because you start at the front. Okay, this is not correct. Where did it happen? Where did it go? Blah, blah, blah. And there we go. And then we we're on the way back. We did it the same. And then we found out that this guy changed the figures and didn't inform us. And yeah. And that's what happens when you use Excel as a source. And, and when it happened uh, for the third time, I told them, I'm sorry, but um, we have no, we didn't sign the con, we just delivered the hours. We did not sign for the dashboard. And we said no to the project. We stopped because this is no way of working. We only had a balance sheet, you know, PL and a balance sheet and, and, no detailed information in the dashboard. So actually it was just something on top of Excel to make a visualization because Excel was not performing anymore. So I just pulled the plug and I said, we're, we're going to stop. This is, and sometimes no, it's just a good answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to paraphrase what you're saying, they didn't have good data management. They didn't have respect for quality and continuation of data, the sort of permanency of a, an input, that the, it should be not something that gets all edited <laughs> along the way, but also the, the, the culture of, of, of challenging and having the right kind of discussion. It, it also sounds like that was missing. Is that fair? Yeah. No, there was a lot missing. Also, the, well, they, they just wanted to look at the numbers. So it's a table. Yeah. There is nothing more than a table for them, but it's okay. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's how they wanted their organization to be run. But yeah, when things change and you lose so much, uh, um, there is no communication. I think that's, that was for me, that's when I look back and try to reflect on it. I learned a lot about asking about uh, uh, sources (laughs) because, okay, we are going to do this project for you, but what is the source? Uh, that's one of the basic uh, questions. And it was one of the first projects in my in the commercial work field. So oh, I learned a lot about that. On the other side, I think that the, the communication in the company was not was not correct. It, uh, we should have asked better. So it's, 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 one, it's a credit that's down on the downside for me because I learned a lot. But on the upside, it never happened again. And for the company, it's a loss because I think truly we could have done something amazing there when we just had, were able to connect and work accordingly to the processes that we embrace in building beautiful reports for them and helping them to become data literate. Mm -hmm. So let's change tact a little bit. So I want to get back to sort of the core elements of data literacy because data literacy is a skill and skills can be taught. So in your opinion, what is the best way to actually teach someone to be data literate? Uh, I'm, I'm a teacher as well as the university. So I work in the commercial work field for 40 hours a week uh, at the business data challenges. And I work in the evenings once or twice a week uh, for the university. And we just set up a program about uh, how to work with data, how to analyze, building dashboards, learning how to write business cases, reports and everything. So we brought everything in this program together. I do so by hands-on work, but also some theoretical concepts, of course, frameworks. We have to discuss them. Uh, They have to make products. So it's truly a combination of activities that I use to teach people. And I believe in that we have to help them 
right? By, by showing them how things can be done. And then we do it together. So I can guide them a little bit. Guiding is a very elementary, basic competency that you need to help organizations uh, to, come, to grow. And on the other side, and then you hope they have that knowledge, gained that knowledge uh, to do it themselves. So I use various elements uh, to help them. It's about learning to analyze, to discuss, look at, use quizzes. We have uh, a data escape room in our office that we use for customers to work together, to make decisions based on data as well. And then uh, when they do so, they have to work together. And when a manager is also in the field, but also somebody from a team, the manager is not the manager. The team member is the manager so that they have to learn to work together and listen together and ask the correct questions. So it's various. I'm laughing about the genius of the escape room. I think that's brilliant. I think maybe every corporate office should have an escape room where people can only, they can only go home if they solve, solve the data challenge or, <laughs> yeah. or have the right arguments. It's, it's a virtual escape room. It can be played on site at a customer. And then we, I and my friends, we are the, the coaches, the mentors, but also uh, we observe how they work together and we write things down. And from there, we, after the game, you know, when you have the results and they got out at, out of the virtual <laughs> escape room, we give them a time to talk about it. But also we can, uh, as, as coaches and mentors and trainers, can give them some advice to grow what we have done, what we, how they work together, uh, what our tips and tricks are. And then from there, we can also give them uh, courses, right? It's a full package and it's so amazing. And yeah, we can also do it virtually. So if you would like to play it. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we can put a, a link to this in the in the show notes. I'm sure other people would be interested in, in having a look at what you have to offer there if it's uh, online. Yeah. So let's make sure we do that. Now I'm working on my new brochure. It's ready, I think, about end of this week. And people can download it from our website. Perfect. And uh, the, whole, the whole story of the data escape room is in there. Brilliant. We'll do that. So by the time you hear this, listeners, it should be in the show notes. Now, Angelica, you did mention that there are frameworks available for people to use and sort of standardize processes and procedures to do data literacy, data governance. But at the same time, as we've discussed, every organization has its own unique culture. It's got its own structure and its own talent pool. And it's all own little idiosyncrasies. So when you're building data literacy in an organization, what are some principles and guidelines that are universal? And what are some of the things that should be customized to a particular organization, in your opinion? I think every organization, of course, is different, right? So when I'm hired as an advisor, I go in an organization and do a, a scan of the organization. That's a five-day work uh, where I find documents, talk about mission, vision, KPIs, where to find the, all the elements and bring it together and then make an advice or how I see the future for them. And of course, they are always free to make their own choices. And of course, I can help also with uh, finding the, the right technology. But my main point is that I just don't want to talk about tools because there are so many good tools. And of course, I have my preferences as well. But for me, the important is the change of the organizations and the readiness of the organization to become data literate and work with analytical tools, right? And then also the soft skill part is a very important part of an organization to grow. 
So that's also always part of my uh, advice, always. You can't throw it over a mountain and say, it's ready, good luck with it, because they will not use it, because people will not understand what has been designed or how it works or how the tool works. And when people have to step over a threshold that's a bit high and you're not helping them, it will not work. My biggest advice for Every person that is working in a data analytics project, give your customers or give your readers, your viewers, your users the helping hand and help them to understand what you have built so that they can work with it. And that's what I did. That's what I do. That's what I did in all my 35 years of data analytics. Yeah, and I I hope I don't offend anyone by saying this, but having worked myself in analytics for almost 20 years, I haven't met yet an analytics team that wasn't good at coding and using the tools, but I have met many, many, many analysts or data professionals who completely ignored what you just said, which is embed the solution, communicate. And it it just is not the skill set of that particular type of person unless they really put effort into it, which is something that I have also spent a lot of time on myself because I'm also an analytical person like most people aren't working in that sort of industry. So in that sense, what are your recommendations for someone in that role in, or in roles that uh, pertain to selling data or data-driven solutions into an organization? Well, first of all, do a step back and listen to your customer and think about the correct visualizations. Help them with guidelines around visualizations. Use your business question in the title of a visualization Give them extra information information around that. So contextual analytics. I love that phrase as well. From there, help them to understand what you have built. Okay, so let them embrace. Help them to understand how they can make the change in the organization and actually grow and celebrate your successes. I think we often forget too much to celebrate what we have reached and how did we get our results and how did we grow. But the culture needs to be, and that's the most important thing. You need to have that open mindset in learning and development and just by uh, transparency and everything. And don't uh, just work with each other, talk with each other, communicate. So if we flip that question around, what are the biggest mistakes that data professionals make in introducing new solutions to their organizations? I always made jokes about programmers are the people that work with special socks or with only on their socks through uh, buildings and they just program and they are so happy. But uh, hopefully, and that's what I learned, the people know I have also software engineers in my classroom because my, my minor is six months. So people can just choose from various uh, studies and they actually are not that fond of writing documents, right? And I help them to understand that it's so important. That's one thing, it's important. But also that you can write lean, mean, and clean documents uh, to get the demand also well written down. Uh, but also trying to, because they know actually how, but because they love programming and the computer, they start programming. So please go also beyond your dashboard, beyond your keyboard, but also talk with people, show them what you did, take that customer with you because when you made your first graphs, just grab your person that you are building it for and show what you have built. Because when you get that, ooh, ah, wow moment, then you know you are becoming successful and from there it can grow. That's helping you. That's helping your customer all the the way around. It's this way, but also this way. So 
get your head out of your computer and start speaking to other humans, basically, at the Talk. end of the day. <laughs> Communicate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Show and tell. Yeah. It, yeah. it comes back to the cultural factors that you mentioned, really, right? So exactly. if we don't talk, yeah. we won't we are humans, build, right? build the arguments either. So, um, so that's there. Yeah. Now, you did say you don't want to mention tools or platforms, but if you had to. <laughs> oh, that's a trick question. Where should people go? I think I have three rather favorite tools that I see in the market a lot and that I truly, I worked with them and I think that there are good things. So for my opinion, I liked the total platform Pyramid Analytics. It's, it's really a nice platform and it's with the, well, it has been built by a visionaire and I think they are beyond the, the things that I saw with, well, I'm not clear, hold on. So one of the tools that I want to mention is, is Pyramid Analytics. I think it's a, it's a complete package. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. No. It's really a cool tool. And they uh, I have worked with it uh, yeah, a long, quite a long time ago. I think it started in 2018. But the basics of it and the thought and the concepts behind it, it was amazing. The second tool, yeah, of course, Microsoft, because it's easy. But then, yeah, my top favorite would be Click. The Click products are actually at the, the base of everything for me because I started working with it. And I don't think it, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a very good tool. I love it because it, it works with the associative engine. I can jump from right to left, from up to down, come up with new questions. Every question, usually when I work with a click, it comes to a new question when I'm starting analyzing. And that's also what I teach, right? Microsoft just, it's, it, it can do a lot of good things as well, but it just works differently. And I think the usage of tools, the, your favorite tool depends on what you started with. You have also a favorite probably. So when you say Microsoft, are you talking about Power BI specifically or? Yeah. 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 Power BI. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my, my experience is Click is very, very good at, especially when you have a lot of data that you're dealing with in memory where Power BI can yeah. crash a bit basically, but it, it is a little bit harder to, to just start from zero and get into it. You need a, typically a little bit more data knowledge. So I think you, you won't offend anyone with those three suggestions. They are pretty good and pretty mainstream. Now, yeah. that is not necessarily going to drive data literacy itself, that you have the right reporting, et cetera, in place. In terms of sort of data governance or, or data management, are there any tools that you use for that? There are tools that are very capable of for, for those kind of things. I'm not very good into those type of tools, but I heard, of course, of uh, of the Click tool, uh, Talent, which is a data quality, data management tool. And it's, I'm so happy that Click bought Talent because I think from that data management point of view, that point of view was still missing in the stack, right? And I think it will help Click even to grow beyond their dreams because it's a full package now. And what I've seen with the talent, because I'm usually not at the back end of the work of uh, data and analytics, but I understand the concepts as I am a teacher as well and the process around it. But I love the fact that we can do something actually about governance, management, and quality. And quality is something that we need to measure. That's what I always try to teach my, my students, but also in my advice to organizations, you can start so small with addressing data quality by just adding tables with data quality issues in your report as a last sheet, for example. Why don't they do so? Because 
in that way, you can also point it out to your customers when you work with them to create the beautiful visualizations. You can also give them the downside that data quality is sometimes poor. And these are the results, my dear customers, what we, what I'm showing you in the sheet. So actually, it can help also to address data quality issues and bring it back to the source. And one of my customers when I delivered the data quality reports as well in the report, they made it a daily topic in their start meeting at eight o'clock. Those patients came here. This is the date of birth that is not correct, or we did not fill in this, or we did not fill in this. Can you please correct it in the system? And that's what they did. And yeah, you saw their, their data quality improving very much. So, yeah. Yeah. And the way I look at this is often people are actually very interested in using data when they have it to hand and they're also very interested in fixing data quality issues when they can see a purpose for it but none of those two things exist unless you show it to them so i ran a project recently with a call center that, that was very similar to that and they had lots of processes that they wanted to optimize but they weren't actually measuring those processes appropriately because people weren't using the core system appropriately to record what was actually happening along the way. So we did exactly what you're describing there. We built a suite of reporting that just looked at data quality throughout that funnel. And then we interrogated every day. These bunch of variables here, they look out of whack because someone hasn't done what they should. What are the processes that are tied to that? What is the individual that hasn't followed the process and worked back like that? And over a series of a probably two months, not only did the data quality improve, but also the adherence to process improved and the number of tasks that a, the team could complete in a day went up quite a lot because of the same reason, because now they were focused on following best practice, but they were also visualizing themselves what was happening and where where there were stumbling blocks, where there were bottlenecks and, and things just taking longer. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be magical uh, AI, this fancy uh, dashboard that you can actually start very big. No, it can help, by the way. Artificial intelligence or machine learning or whatever can help to improve also in your data quality to to clean up data uh, that is not, or give signals or whatever, do automatic things. But uh, yes, I fully agree because you have to help your customer. And that's what you did. The same that I do. Yeah. Hi, dear listener, just a quick message from me. Are you ready to take your data career to the next level? Then I've got just a thing for you, the Leaders of Analytics newsletter. Every week I send you actionable tips to master the art and science of analytics leadership and to help you grow your career as a data professional. Every issue comes packed with information designed to help you grow your leadership and influencing skills in the world of analytics. No big theories, just practical real-world strategies that you can start implementing right away. So head over to leadersofanalytics.com slash newsletter to subscribe and start making a bigger impact tomorrow. Subscribe now and your future self will thank you for it. Now, Angelica, we're almost at the end here. You have written a book about data literacy. So you have a lot of opinions on this stuff. And here's my invite to you to get up on the soapbox and tell us if there are three things the listeners can do today to make their organizations more data literate, what should they be? Arrange education. 
start nurturing your talent because you need your humans. You, you need the people to do the work for you and you need to keep them because the world is so volatile that we have to uh, keep them and help them and gr let them grow, give them the opportunity to grow. And I think the, it's just like rugby. <laughs> we have also three core values in rugby. And I think the third one is about communication. I'm, I'm more of the soft skill girl. <laughs> Communicate with each other, listen to each other, work with each other, help each other. Very good recommendations. And I think it's important to note that none of your recommendations were around buy this tool, implement that hard skill or hard process. It's actually about communicating with other people and getting people to do good work, as you've said all along. Now, Angelica, I have two questions left for you. The first one is a question and an ask. So I'm asking you to pay it forward and I'm asking you, who would you like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why? Well, uh, I have actually, the lady is called Priscilla J. Papazis Paolinelli. <laughs> she is from Brazil. And she is a data product manager, data leader, and she helped a lot of organizations to grow. Uh, she also was a teacher, works for a commercial uh, company now in, uh, I think it's a car part organization, but she truly has also some very good ideas about uh, data and analytics. But I know there are some good, some good examples in the world that know what they are talking about, but they can also help people to transform, right? And that's cool. That's so cool. Priscilla is a great recommendation and you will have to help me spell her name. But once we've done that, I'm sure we can get her on the podcast and have a really good conversation. And we haven't been to Brazil yet on this podcast, so it's about time, I think. Now, lastly, Angelica, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of any content you might produce? I recently switched jobs because I listened to my heart what I wanted to do the last 10 years or so of my working life or six years, to be honest, because I'm 61, 62, you get that moment, you know. So I, I learned uh, and I listened to my Ikigai. I bought a book and I was reading about it also about mastering my mind and everything and what makes me tick, what makes me happy. And that's sharing knowledge as a teacher. And that's what I'm doing now. So I'm developing a lot of content around data literacy courses, trainings and everything. So I'm working on the flyer at the moment in this, this trainings will be the basics of data literacy to data visualization, data ethics, because I think ethic co-handling data of data is very, very important. The processes, agile organizations, you can name it. And you can find them on the website of the company where I work, uh, the business data challengers in the, in the Netherlands. I do my trainings all over the world. So I do it in Dutch here in the Netherlands, but also English for every company behind uh, the borders of the Netherlands. Yeah, if you want advice, uh, I'm also hireable. Yeah, by the book. Uh, because it will help you as well to get that basic knowledge about data literacy. And a lot of those topics that I just discussed are also written in the book. We will make sure to link to all of that in the show notes so that anyone can get to it with just the click of a button. Angelica Kledas, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics today, or I think you say Dankewal in Dutch. Yeah. 
for being on Leaders of Analytics. <laughs> and I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with the world. And I look forward to continue to follow your, your journey and all the best with following your heart and your passion in the last years of your working life. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Hi, dear listener. Just a quick note from me before you go. If you enjoyed the show, then please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. I have loads more great stuff coming your way. Also, I'd love some feedback from you on the show. So please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. <laughs>